Welcome into another edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's an interesting week here. Uh, we are heading to Chicago, Mark Brennan and I, on Wednesday, and, and we'll be out there for a few days to get a chance to chat with uh, not just representatives from Penn State football, but uh, across the Big Ten. It is a busy week um, there in Chicago, but we've got some catching up to do. Penn State hosted one of its marquee annual events, um, and a nice group of fans always show up to this one, too. It was the Lift for Life event on Friday evening. Um, Sean, Mark, myself, we were all there. It was an opportunity not just to, to see these guys in action, and show off some of the physical work they've put in this offseason and also raise money for a great cause there with the uplifting athletes efforts. Um, but it was a chance to speak with a lot of these players during a media session that preceded the event. Uh, we did just that. We'll talk about some of those key topics and we'll bring in Sean, who was also hitting the road this week, but we're happy we can squeeze our first episode in and get it up. Mark and I plan on bringing you a second episode, just a heads up this week from Big Ten Media Days, and we'll do our best to preview Big Ten Media Days with national 24-7 sports college football analyst Chris Hummer here a little bit later in the show. Some interesting thoughts uh, from beyond Happy Valley about how the conference title chase may shape up in 2019. Uh, Sean, as I said, we had a chance to, to get out in front of some of these players um, on Friday, ask some questions, uh, get to know some of these personalities, and, and you know, it's another trend. A lot of them were younger guys, and, and you know, a lot of the younger guys are going to be featured prominently on this 2019 football roster. First off, a welcome to Penn State football purgatory. Live for life is in the book, so it's a long couple of weeks until practice starts, and then, of course, a month of August until uh, Idaho comes to town. So almost there. We're getting there. We can we can start to feel football right now, so that's good. We saw a little bit on uh, Friday night at Lift for Life, always a great event, uh, uh, raising money for rare diseases, uplifting athletes, doing a tremendous job. Sean Clifford heading that up, by the way. Um, that's something that he's been involved with since he got to campus. Now he's the front of, uh, of Lift for Life, or excuse me, uplifting athletes, and he's also the front for the program now. We got a chance to, to sit with Clifford uh, for a little bit before the event. Uh, seems confident, seems ready to go. Watched him work out, and, you know, he's, he's uh, like everybody has been saying in the program, he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. So that was, uh, that was cool to see. But, of course, Lift for Life gives us a, a chance to see some of the freshmen for the first time, and that's really that's probably where we're going to start at right here. Um, just some new guys that have joined the program since May and June. Of course, it's a little bit more staggered now. Now you can enter um, or, or, or at least get on campus as soon as your high school graduation takes place. So it's not really the everybody moves in for the second summer session like it usually was. So we've seen guys, Caden Wallace showed up early, uh, Jaquan Brisker came on campus early, and some other guys were on campus through June. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll start with Caden Wallace. We talked about him on the show last week, how impressive that we had heard he had been, and he showed up. He looked ready to go. I mean, you, you saw him walk in. Um, and, you know, he looks like a guy that, that, that you could slot in that offensive line room right now, and he would be fine sticking there. Whether his weight's 310 or 320 or 333 as it's listed really doesn't matter. Kid looks great. They're going to start him at tackle and see how he goes, and I think he can he can be a guy that challenges for the two deep right away, which you, you don't say that about a ton of freshman offensive linemen. If he if that 330 mark is correct, I haven't seen many 19 year olds wear 330 pounds better than Caden Wallace right now. And um, you know he's somebody we talked about. He looks like an early enrollee or someone who's even been on campus or dating back further than January because I remember what he looked like. You know on the opening circuit, I'm sure you do too. A kid who always had all the talent, but you, you figured he's going to need some a construction phase entering his college career. And we've talked about the importance of handling that business on his own. 
Man, I'll tell you what, we'll see where he is fundamentally, uh, but I love what he produced as a senior on film, and and combine that with where he is physically in the best shape of his life, there's no doubt about it, and he's just getting going with Dwight Galt in in this training regiment, he's only been on campus since mid-May, that tackle slot has always been intriguing to me. Uh, you've got him pegged there as, as a number three tackle um, as a freshman on that initial projected depth chart that you put out last week. So really curious to see where it goes from here. But, but uh, man, I haven't seen many specimens that look like this uh, coming in. And I can tell you, Caden Wallace, if you heard our interview on the podcast, he's a very mature young man. So I think he's also uh, maybe got a head start on the average kid from a mental standpoint, uh, from, from an understanding responsibility standpoint. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about the complete package here, especially what he's done to his body um, you know, just in a matter of months. Well, Wallace looked great. He did not win the looks test. Um, the, the insignificant, uh, I guess, uh, inexact science that we like to pull after the Live for Life. And, and that's the thing about Live for Life is, is everything coming out of Live for Life is usually positive. I mean, that's, that's something that you always have to not take with a grain of salt, but you have to understand what you're looking at. It's a, it's a bunch of guys working out. They, if they don't look good, that, that's a problem. So um, Caden Wallace looked great. Uh, Smith Vilbert, man, uh, he just is on another level. When you're talking about looks test, you turn. I mean, he he walks by you, and you think, "Who is that?" Um, looks like a prototy- uh, prototypical. I said this on the board. Prototypical left tackle. I mean, this guy's got length. He's got size. He's going to grow into it. He's still going to be a six five and a half, six six, two hundred eighty pound defensive end, and I think he can stick there. But the kid looks incredible. Um, still a couple of years away, no doubt, because he's a basketball player learning how to transition to football. But, uh, I mean, certainly a lot to like. When you're talking just strictly looks test, Smith Vilbert's probably one of the first guys you want to get off the bus. And he's another example of a guy who shifted over from the basketball court, concentrated on football later in high school, and, and you're seeing that pay off quickly. But, uh, yeah, a year from now, what will he look like? And, you know, with that athleticism on the perimeter, I'm sure there's a lot of ways a football team could use him. I think he's in the right spot uh, on defensive end. And something to remember, he was not on the radar at all this time last yep. year. So, I mean, he's the type of prospect that could that could just rise up through the ranks, and you could still see that in this 2020 class, especially as Penn State continues to look for defensive ends. Uh, two guys that joined the program a little bit older, Jaquan Brisker. We're going to talk about him, what Dwight Galt had to say about him a little bit later, and Weston Carr. Weston Carr, you probably could not pick him out of a lineup unless you, you knew exactly what you were looking for. He's very unassuming. The uh, size checks out. He, he was right there with some of those other guys. Uh, took some video of him doing the the get off and, and lift for life was a little bit different than it used to be. Used to have all these different stations and used to be able to keep track of everything. Now you keep track of the bench. They put him through this other workout, which is more of a an agility type thing, which they say is to give people a look of, of their day-to-day look. Really, I think it's, it takes a little bit of load off of what they used to do. Um, so it, it was cool to see him. Definitely hung with some of those older guys. Um, you know, it was... Uh, it was good to see him and see how he could mix in. I think he fits in pretty well. And Brisker, man, he looks ready to go. I mean, he's, uh, I forget the exact words that Galt called him, but he's certified. He's a stud. He's ready to go physically. Um, we'll see where he slots in. I think he's going to be right there with uh, Lamont Wade to start camp, and we'll see how those things go. And we've, we've talked a lot about Brisker before. I mean, staff has extremely high hopes for him, wants him to play right away, wants him to figure into that safety mix so they can figure out those four guys and go with it. But uh, Brisker looks the part. I mean, he's put on, I think, 15 pounds since he's got here, 213 right now. Um, we'll, we'll see how he develops, but he, looked, he certainly looks the and part. And him and Lamont Wade are, you know, hey, both both really 
high potential football players. I think that's been well documented, but you're not going to confuse those two uh, stylistically, athletically, uh, just standing side by side. These are, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see these guys really curious uh, in the limited looks that we do get and how we can kind of uh, differentiate the two aside from that. But I think going back real quickly to Weston Carr, um, Jared Parker <laughs> said he, th- you know, this is a guy who might blend in a little bit with the GAs because you look at how young that wide receiver group is. And uh, this kid comes in from across the country at, you know, 20, Two years old or whatever he is right now. Um, this is a, it's a room filled with 19, 20 year old kids for the most part. So uh, Jared Parker, I know, is excited to get the receiver, but this is a nice step forward. I know for his room to get Weston Carr acclimated, you know, ahead of training camp and and be a guy that can be an accountable figure. Because I think regardless of where he de- where he did have his production and it was at the Division two level, this kid has done it at the college level. He's done it for a few years. He he really had to earn his way to get to this point as a former walk on at the Division two spot. So I think he's a guy will garner a lot of respect early once guys get a get a firm understanding of, of his journey to get to this point uh, you know he's in a room with a lot of guys who were recruited as sophomores and, and juniors out of high school and had 25 plus scholarship options so his route is a bit different and I think he's a nice addition to this group and we'll obviously learn a lot more about him in the, in the next few weeks it's almost like at the trade deadline you know adding a veteran late uh, veteran presence late just uh, you know he's a rental I mean he's only got one year regardless of what happens so you take a chance on him hope he can he can rub off on the guys around you especially for that young receiver group really uh, the last guy I wanted to touch on here Devin Ford uh, came in ready to go looks good uh, we mentioned CJ Holmes last week tra- uh, transferred over to the, uh, the defensive side of the ball to play safety I think Ford is a reason why um, you know you got him and Noah Kane they're going to creep up on those first two running backs and I think they're going to you know there'll be something to deal with so uh, Devin Ford I thought looked good moving on to the veterans a uh, guy that really just uh, you know he's always been impressive you always like what he's seen but to watch KJ Hamler line up and get off the ball for some of these drills that they were doing he's just he he's got another gear long term but just he's so quick off the ball and you you kind of forget that I mean KJ of course has always been more quick than fast but he's also you know we've we've learned in the last year or so he's fast as well so really excited to see what uh, what step KJ Hamler could take because when he's out there you line him up against uh, Tariq Castro-Fields and Parsons and Alway. I mean, he's the guy that had a step on them right off the line, and that's uh, that was encouraging to see. Well, yeah, when K.J. Hamler was a rising high school senior and he was invited to the opening finals with the best wide receivers in the country, there was an argument to be made then that he was the toughest guy to cover. And he was nowhere near the biggest guy. Picture K.J. now, minus about 14 pounds. Uh, and, and I think he, he is always going to be someone who dazzles in that regard. What you wonder is, you know, schematically – what are the new things we're going to do to get the ball in his hand with frequency? Um, you know, we, we just saw him dip off the radar last year in terms of production uh, during the second half. And, and, you know, it's hard to attribute that fault on him. You had a position coach who was on his way out of the program, as it turned out. Uh, but KJ is somebody that they're going to need from game one, like he did last year against Appalachian State. He came up huge in that game. But they need from game one on, you know, to, to be the guy who's, who's never going to blink. And I think that is his personality because you, you just don't know yet about a lot of these other receivers. Are they going to blink in the big moments? We got a lot to learn about them. KJ has always come across to me as the guy who's not going to be there uh and the guy who is, is gonna you know basically be the same dude he is in a zero zero game as he is when it's 27 27 two minutes to go um and you tack on the, the physical development that he continues to do let's remember he missed an entire year of football due to that acl tear coming out of high school so uh, he's on the right track and i boy you when you talk to jared parker about this kid he knows he has a special talent uh, in that room yeah he's added some weight too as we mentioned last week
week. So, I mean, that's uh, encouraging to see him, you know, sort of keep that, hold that quickness, keep that quickness. Another guy like that, Tariq Castro-Fields, has put on weight as well. I thought he looked good. Pat Fryermuth, you know, is always going to look good when he's out there in a situation like this. Um, and then Sean Clifford. I mean, we'll, we'll get on to Clifford. Uh, just lining up, uh, th- this is one guy that when you talked about what he would do as a redshirt freshman or or between that redshirt and freshman year, they were talking about, hey, Clifford has talent. He, he certainly has talent, but he's going to work himself into a player. And I think that's what you're seeing here with Clifford. And that's, you know, that's, that's what you want out of a quarterback. You want a guy that's going to set the example, be that guy. I think he's more similar to Trace than people will give him credit for. Maybe not the athlete that Trace is, and I think people have undersold Trace as an athlete for, for a long time, but he's, he's athletic, he can do things, but as a leader, as a fiery guy, I think he's going to get in some people's faces, which you don't expect if you know the kid, he's a nice kid, but he's going to get in some people's faces and, and he's going to have something to say. So encourage what we saw from, from Clifford. He stepped up to the microphone, had a good media session as well. Um, you know, He's done everything right so far. He's got the inner confidence that is just so important for uh, especially a first-year quarterback. But Sean's always had that. I think what what he's really done is, and we've heard it from everybody, since the moment that Tommy Stevens uh, elected to leave campus, he has very quickly assumed the mantle of the starting quarterback. And and whether or not that's been announced publicly, that is exactly the way Sean seems to be approaching it. Um, You know, you're going to be the guy who's got to answer the tough questions. And uh, this is all great practice for him. We're going to learn a lot more when he has to come out, maybe after a tough performance and and have a bunch of microphones thrown in his face. I thought Trace McSorley was exceptional in those situations during his career as Penn State's starting quarterback. But physically, he's right where you want him to be right now. And, and And I'm definitely curious to see what he can do as a runner and we, we know that he's made some improvements there but I think in terms of a guy that's going to be able to trot out to that huddle the first uh, you know first day of training camp in August and eventually August 31st when Idaho is across the field I don't think there's a, a lot of concern there because Sean Clifford is a guy who has really won over this locker room and he's done it over the past couple of years with the work he puts in and the way he goes about his business on a day-to-day basis but he's really stepped up to the plate by all accounts and not everybody got not every guy would do that I think there's probably an assumption that okay the Tommy Stevens leaves Sean Clifford slot him in as a leader you don't slot guys in as leaders it needs to be something they take on inherently uh, and I think he's done a really nice job of that yeah there's a misconception that guys just kind of wait for their turn and sit in the back well he's been working the entire time and people have noticed that and that's something we've heard from his teammates so uh, that's that, that that's been cool to see another guy uh, we talked about him a little bit earlier Lamont Wade looked like he was in a good place. And I know a lot of people criticize Lamont for the way, um, you know, he approaches social media and and approaches the things that he's passionate about. But Lamont looked to be in a very good spot, um, very big smile on his face, which is not always the case with him. So I thought that was uh, intriguing. I thought that was cool to see. He's got obviously has a position battle ahead of him. And it's interesting because it's going to be with Jaquan Brisker, a guy that he's, he's known from Pittsburgh for a long, long time. So Thought that was notable to see Wade out there and like that. And we got to talk to Will Fries. Um, you got to talk to him a little bit personally, but uh, I thought he looked good. I thought he looked healthy, which you couldn't say about you know six months ago, eight months ago. You really couldn't say that Will Will Fries looked like he was ready to go. So I thought that was good for a couple of those veterans. Then we got to talk to Dwight Galt. Always great to talk to him. The OG. Uh, he's he's fantastic. The guy goes out there and, and just re- recites strength numbers as if they were phone numbers off, off the top of his head. Um, it was really funny to see. Again, very positive on Jaquan Brisker. 15 pounds added to him, about 213 right now. Running well, moving well. Um, and then he got, of course, the question on Micah Parsons and Jason Oway. This is one that, you know, believe it or not, we've covered a time or two on the podcast. Um, but it was really cool to see him 
talk about the the competition aspect of it, how they're making each other better, admitted that those guys were just kind of scratching the surface as football players, but as athletes, they're, they're taking these big steps to get where they need to be, and it's because of one another. And a couple things here uh, we have up on Lines 24-7, video of uh, Micah and Jason doing their sprint challenge. It's something that they have been very competitive about on social media for a while. They did it with a, with quite an audience on Friday. And additionally, the entire Dwight Galt media session, Mark has it up uh, on, online as well. You can get the full video. And as Sean said, it gets very detailed. We thought about chopping some of it up here for the podcast, but I uh, would highly recommend maybe Just go watch the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's dive it. Into it. it. It's fun. I mean, just to see him handle him. Uh, handle the way he does uh it's it's so funny i mean you could just see the wheels turning every time i mean he's reciting weights he's reciting 40 times he's reciting all these kind of different crazy things it, it, it's it's we get him like two or three times a year and it's always great <laughs> and speaking of 40 times really interesting tidbit there coming uh, regarding jesse lucetta staying at the linebacker spot sean uh, as you documented here on our rundown, Jesse Lucetta, uh, now a year and a half into his college career, he was an early enrollee along with Micah in uh, January 2018. He's a guy who's done a great job transforming himself physically. Uh, we know he was going to be a, an accountable teammate, a well-liked teammate. That's come to fruition. Uh, but he's doing everything he can to put himself in a spot to make an impact on the defense after burning his red shirt, playing predominantly special teams as a true freshman. Well, he's he's in that group with uh, Micah and Oa, but he's he's not that freak. I mean, he's not that athletic freak. I mean, this is a guy that ran low four nines when he was in high school, and I think that's going to take some people back and surprise. I mean, this we've always known he's not a burner, but he's down from I think four nine two to four six eight is what Dwight Galt said. He's playing on the outside. You can put you maybe can uh, figure that he could be on the inside in the future. So you've got some flexibility there. I think we're going to see more of him this uh, so this September, especially. He's going to get a chance to get in there and and play a little bit. But yeah, I mean physically, I mean this linebacker group looks different, and and, and Lucetta is a big reason that uh, that that you could feel comfortable about this depth chart, even though there's not a ton of experience there. So. Seeing him, uh, you know, he's he's not a child anymore. We saw him sort of grow up during the recruitment period. But, I mean, he's a, he's a big kid. He's, he can stand right there with Micah, and you really can't tell much of a difference. I mean, he's 250. He looks 235. So, I mean, he's he carries his weight very well. He, he's obviously moving better. So it's a, it's definitely a positive step for, for Jesse Lucetta. And speaking of guys who just physically are there and getting there, P.J. Mustafer can confirm 311 pounds, sounds about right, tacked on 11 pounds this offseason, uh, according to the to the roster update. It's right there in the ballpark, and he carries it so well. And, and by the way, you talk to him and Pat Fryermuth in particular, those two guys, you get like a future captain vibe from both of them. I asked both of those guys about it. I'll have something up on the site just about how they kind of approach things, but I'm telling you what, Pat Fryermuth, P.J. Mustford, it's no accident that they were able to contribute on the football field. goes beyond the athleticism, the size. Both those guys have a mentality that's going to serve this program well, I think, moving forward. Galt positive on Anthony Wigan, although he still says he has strides to make. Um, best, I think best-looking 309-pounder is what he called him. Um, so we will see where Wigan fits into things. I'm still not quite sure if he has built up the strength base because that's really the big thing that was holding him back. I mean, it's not flexibility. It's not foot speed or anything like that, as Galt alluded to, but it's strength, and he needs to get on that. On the flip side, uh, Rashid Walker in the 320s, I mean, he's a big, big dude. Again, not. I mean, we haven't seen him yet, so we're going to see the first uh, extended look at him in September, as we expect him to be the starting left tackle. But physically, looks the part. Looks like a big time uh, left tackle. And Shaka Tony, 
very much blossoming at the defensive end position we talked about before. He came in from Philadelphia, kind of that wiry speed rusher. We know he, we know he's used that speed for some big moments, uh, and but now the, the balance. You talked about it. You got to be balanced to be a first teamer. Uh, that's why you got a guy like him pegged over a Jason Away at this point in their respective careers. Shane Simmons is right there, but you know Sean Spencer told us at the end of spring if they had the first game coming up, Shaka Tony's the guy. He he bounced out a uh, twenty-four bench press reps on Friday. And uh, I think Shaka Tony's a guy who's really coming into his own here with his fourth year on campus. Shaka is a ridiculous athlete. I don't think uh, people realize. I mean, you see him and you've always talked about him adding weight and being where he needed to be, where, um, you know, he, he came in light. And, of course, it, it struggled to put on th- some things. But this is a kid with a 38-inch vertical last summer. I mean, you don't realize what kind of athlete he is. It was going back to his high school games, uh, high school days, very flexible, very, um, I guess, uh, twitchy. And you see that you see that come out in his game because he can get off the ball very well. But uh, to put up 24 reps, that's that's crazy. I mean, when you think about that, I mean, this is a kid that uh, has always built on speed rather than power. You, you, everybody talks about him. Oh, he's a situational guy. He's a third down pass rush specialist. Well, he, you know, he's looking to prove that he can play. I still think he's probably a three, four outside linebacker. He's going to be, be a pro, but still, I mean, this is a kid that gets off the ball very well and he can hold up. You got a lot of defensive ends. Sean Spencer, I think is going to cycle those guys through, keep them fresh throughout the season. And I think uh, Tony's going to surprise some people. As I said last week, a lot of people have already written him off seeing, you know, whether Owe can pass him or if Simmons gets healthy. Shaka Tony can, can play some football. Yeah, and Spencer has not been shy about calling him, uh, you know, th- maybe the smartest guy in that room. He said it a couple times. The guy, in terms of football IQ and knowing what to anticipate, play to play, that's something that a coach can really loves to be able to lean on that reliability. Sean, recruiting uh, after a crazy five week stretch there, where Penn State picked up fourteen commits. Now it finally does kind of feel like the dead period a little bit. Um, interesting note though, coming out on a Friday evening, Mark Britt, a four star wide receiver out of uh, South Florida, uh, Miami. Christian School, former Miami Hurricanes commit, spent about a year committed to the Hurricanes. He is down to three programs, announcing Florida, LSU, Penn State. Another intriguing one here out of the Sunshine State, Sean. Uh, we talked about wide receiver class, all the names still out there. You got three players on board thanks to that commitment spree. Uh, here's another to know, and he's one that you've talked about. You've, you've periodically mentioned Mark Britt. Hasn't been a lot of clarity here, but here's a, here's a step forward in his recruitment. Well, it's interesting because he was going to be on campus for an official visit in June and had to, to bail at the last minute. I don't know if that's made it out uh, past our boards yet, um, but he, he's a guy that they've been on for a long time. Sider's been on him for a long time. Got the sense that uh, you know he's not the top guy on the board. You've still got Keandre Lambert out there. Josh Downs is out there as well, but uh, he's in a group of, of highly athletic guys that you, you, know, you may take a chance on at some point. Uh, a guy like a Malik Mega who's going to be there for the lash bash. That that wide receiver position is very interesting, and Britt can fit into that. I think they're going to get some guys on campus, uh, probably for the uh, excuse me for the whiteout game this fall. Some Florida guys are going to come up for that for official visits. So Britt could definitely be a part of that. So keeping an eye on Mark Britt. That's an interesting top three. Florida's right there. Um, Florida's been sort of hot and cold on him. LSU is an interesting name. Miami not there anymore. You mentioned he's a former Hurricanes commit, which there's a lot of those floating around. Um, but uh, just 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 a name to stash away, I think, for the fall, because I think we're going to see some some of those Florida guys make it up their way for official visits this fall. 
Man, Florida Gators wide receiver commit Jaquavian Frazier has made an official visit in June. Uh, we're waiting for a August 2nd decision from Florida running back Keziah Holmes. So we'll stay uh, plugged in with uh, with the South Florida scene and the Sunshine State scene. Um, dead periods over July 25th. Uh, camp action returns the day later. And Lash Bash, we know that's a big event every year. Sean, uh, you know, I'm focused on getting to Chicago. You're focused on a family vacation. But when we get back, uh, right around the corner to a another really important recruiting event for Penn State. Yeah, and I think it's going to be mostly underclassmen that you're going to focus on for the Lash Bash this time around. I don't think there's a ton of... Uh you know, 2020 still, I mean, there's a lot of commitments in this class right now. I mean, there's that they have space to work with, but there's not a ton of guys out there, but you've got Keziah Holmes announcing in early August. You've got uh, Bryce Gowdy's going to announce in late July. I don't think that's Penn State. He hasn't been to Penn State yet. So that would be a surprise. Uh, Devin Willock, uh, the offensive lineman from New Jersey. There's still some guys on the board that could uh, end it before, I guess, practice start or their practice starts or, or their senior season starts. But that, that rush of commitments that we saw through through June and July and early July, um, it's uh, pretty much coming to the tail end. So that's interesting. Well, Sean, at, at the very least, uh, it, it'll be good to get your commits you know, around the same table, eating some lunch together, eating some barbecue together, because this class has changed so quickly. It's going to be important to match some names to faces for these yeah, guys. These guys are going to look the around and, and try and yeah. figure out who the heck these so guys are. So are you going to be my roommate here? Who are you? Yeah, so I think this is important. You want to keep building the class momentum so that way when these guys get back to campus again, let's say during the season, a visiting on committed player can sense the cohesiveness in the in the you know the room around these guys. I'd have to imagine there's still some ice that needs breakings because you know everything has developed so quickly with this group. No doubt, no doubt, and I think that's uh, something that's gonna. I mean, you're gonna get a guy like R.J. Adams back on campus to to uh, to go with those guys. But yeah, uh, I tell you what, I'm done. I'm gonna uh, go to vacation right now. We're gonna send a commercial. Come right back with Chris Hummer. Thanks to everybody. I hope you have a great week and. I hope I don't have to, to hear from you guys. So, all right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll turn it over to Tyler. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Well, we wish Sean uh, safe travels and a fun few days with his family. As mentioned earlier here on the episode, uh, myself, I'm boarding a plane here in State College on Wednesday and heading to Chicago along with our Mark Brennan to cover Big Ten Media Days. We'll get a chance to go up close with Penn State coach James Franklin and a few players. It's going to be uh, linebacker Cam Brown, cornerback John Reed, punter Blake Gilligan, uh, seniors in this group. Uh, they'll all be out there. Obviously, they won't be alone. A Big Ten will be represented across the board. And 
uh, to kind of gear up for that, brought in Chris Hummer for a conversation. Hopefully you caught our interview with Chris a few weeks ago about the analytical approach that Penn State has adopted and uh, how it's trying to stay ahead of the curve in recruiting and evaluating young talent at the high school level in, in a different way than maybe has done for decades past in college football. If that's something you'd be interested in, you missed that conversation again. Uh, that was a couple weeks ago, uh, and Chris was a great uh, insight uh, after writing a story on that subject. But we kept Chris around, recorded back then, uh, something we wanted to share here getting ready for Big Ten Media Days as we take a look at both the divisions in this conference, uh, what the heck we should expect from Ohio State with the departure of Urban Meyer and, and the way they brought in Justin Fields. And uh, there is so much to get to. And obviously, Michigan, big things expected there. They've got Josh Gaddis in as their offensive coordinator, someone who Penn State fans became very familiar with uh, for the first few years of James Franklin's tenure at Penn State. Those are just a few of the storylines. We're going to jump into a bunch Right now with Chris Hummer. Want to keep the perspective uh, national with you here, uh, as Sean and I are usually so zoomed in on Happy Valley with the conversation. You know, the Big Ten this year. You know, we we tend to focus in on the Big Ten East when we talk about it here on the podcast. But the Big Ten West is it seems to be a division in transition. Uh, my question for you, from the outside looking in, is the Big Ten West? Is there a team out there that that's has the ability to rise up? I know a lot of people are looking at Nebraska. But I think Big Ten's always going to face an issue with the college football playoff structure if the Big Ten East champ, whether they're a zero, uh, you know, one-loss team, a two-loss team, going up against maybe a 7-5, 8-4 Big Ten West champ, that win isn't going to really raise the needle for you. Do you see that maybe changing this year in terms of the, sh- the power uh, balance in the Big Ten? Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think we're to that pivot point yet. If I had to pick the top four teams in the Big Ten going into the year, all four of them would be in the East, potentially. Like It's it's still kind of in balance. Had Wisconsin had a little steadier quarterback play, perhaps I'd kind of consider that. We don't know quite at this point what Jack Cohen or Graham Mertz are going to be. If one of them can step up, I really do like Wisconsin quite a lot. Uh, Nebraska, I think, is getting a lot of hype, and much of that's deserved. Scott Frost is a great coach, but like that defense had a lot of problems last year, and people predicting a jump from four and eight to like eleven and one might want to slow down a little bit. Uh, Iowa is a team I really respect, but at the same time, you always run into a recruiting ceiling at Iowa that is perhaps hard to hop over. And those would be the three teams I'd spotlight along with Northwestern, which uh, Pat Fitzgerald is Pat Fitzgerald. You always can't count that team out, but it. Like that team, that division is going to have a very tough time if it goes up against anybody from the Big Ten East. With that being said, I think this is kind of a down year in the Big Ten East. It's wide open considering the movement we've seen. Like I would probably project Michigan personally as my favorite entering the year, but even that team has a lot of questions. New offensive coordinator, resetting defense. Uh, Ohio State's going to be as strong as always. That talent level's there. I know people are down on Penn State, but I had them. I believe I had them 12th in my uh, spring top 25. Like, I really believe in what James Franklin's done from a recruiting perspective. And Michigan State's going to take another jump. And I think, like, if you're the Big Ten, the smart thing to do instead of trying to expand the playoffs might be to look at kind of rearranging your divisions a little bit because the Big Ten East just beats each other up time after time after time. And it's I realize that if you get through there, it's a, it's a testament to the strength of the team at the top. But uh, it does make the path harder to get to playoff for sure. One one team that Penn State will face this year out of the West, Purdue coming into Happy Valley for homecoming the first Saturday of October. 
Not sure what to make of Purdue, Chris. Maybe you can help us out here because, you know, obviously they had that signature win uh, over Ohio State. A lot of people paid attention to that. They had, you know, a scintillating freshman, freshman of the year candidate, Rondell Moore. And really, at the end of the day, though, the win-loss record wasn't very impressive. Brom ends up staying and gets paid and, and turns down the Louisville job. But I, I'm just curious, is this a team that's fixed to make a leap or is this more... Purdue putting all its eggs in one basket based off a few interesting performances. I think Purdue is primed for a leap in maybe a year or two. Uh, what Jeff Brom is doing from a recruiting perspective is extremely, extremely impressive. They had a top 25 class this past year. They're bringing in a different level of talent to West Lafayette, and I think that's huge for the program. And when you have a guy like Rondale Moore and kind of an offense that Jeff Brom puts together, you're always dangerous. I don't think they're quite there yet as a team who's going to win nine or ten games and compete for a division title, I could be surprised. I would consider Jeff Brom among the best coaches in the country. I have no problem saying that. But, like, I don't think they're quite there yet. Uh, quarterback is pretty well settled there. Elijah Sinclair, who was hurt for much of last season, is going to start. You've got a guy like Rondell Moore, who is, as you said, extremely dangerous. And they do a lot of things well. And it's a really sound defense. But to this point, I wouldn't really consider Purdue a contender in that sense. And I would certainly favor Penn State uh, in that matchup if we were going to pick that now. Sure, and Penn State takes on Purdue, and then they got a heck of a three-game stretch with Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State later in the year. And I want to bring up the Buckeyes here because Ryan Day obviously is off to a heck of a start in the recruiting trail. It's very obvious here this summer. But I think a lot of people are making this making this assumption that we're looking at another Lincoln-Riley situation. What, what's your gut, gut telling you here? I mean, is Ohio State just going to keep on moving like Urban Meyer never left and they got the new kid in town and, and he's a prodigy as a, as a coach? Or do you think they are in for a dip just based off the fact that they lose a three-time national championship coach? I would tell you I knew Lincoln Riley in that Oklahoma situation a little bit better than I do Ohio State based on where I'm located. Lincoln Riley came from a tree that talked about him so well. I didn't really expect Oklahoma to have much of a drop-off when he took over from Bob Stoops. That being said, from what I've heard from coaches, Ryan Day is a similar type of guy. He's always he's long been considered a really smart offensive mind. Uh, he was really well complimented by some coaches on that staff for how he handled uh, Urban Meyer's suspension last year. I think he had a lot of help in that regard, but he handled the team well. And I think the most important thing for Ryan Day, especially the first year or two, is the recruiting and kind of strength and conditioning infrastructure that carried Urban Meyer through the last eight years almost exclusively remained in place. And given the talent Urban Meyer left behind, I have a hard time seeing Ohio State dropping much, if at all, just because they're so much more talented than the majority of people they play. If you look at the Big Ten schedule, you can only really pick out maybe four games Ohio State's going to lose. I know like there have been exceptions the last two years. Nobody expected Iowa to beat Ohio State the way they did. Nobody expected Purdue. But realistically, if Ohio State is ready to play, there are not that many losing opportunities there. So the idea of a major drop-off under Ryan Day is not something I would necessarily point to. But I think when you lose a guy like Urban Meyer, you also have to consider that he is one of the best coaches of all time. And it's unlikely, no matter how good a person following him is, that they're going to be able to necessarily match that. So if there was a year that Ohio State was vulnerable, I would point to this one. Yeah, and I'm curious, obviously, to see if things do not go according to plan and we don't get a Lincoln-Riley kind of transition, 
what that does to their recruiting because obviously their recruiting has been up there with with anybody beside Clemson and Alabama. No one could really challenge what Urban Meyer was doing for the last seven, eight years uh, on the recruiting trail. Chris, the other team here, we've seen thrillers in the last few years with Ohio State. I mean, Penn State versus Ohio State has required your attention for every minute of the game, whereas the last few matchups, really every matchup with Michigan since James Franklin got to town, it's just been an exchanging of big blows. Um, you know, Penn State took it to Michigan a couple years ago. Michigan returned the favor last year at the Big House. What do we make of the Michigan Wolverines? Obviously, everyone's saying if it doesn't happen this year in terms of beating Ohio State, when will it possibly happen? You know, I was a big fan of Shea Patterson when he was coming out of high school. I thought he was the best quarterback in the country. I was in his camp over, over Jacob Eason, which was kind of the hot topic. But I didn't really see him get unleashed like I thought he might be last year. Josh Gaddis, a guy who a lot of Penn State fans are familiar with from his time here, James Franklin's first four years in Happy Valley, now the offensive coordinator, are you putting both feet on the bandwagon? You said you view Michigan as the, as the early favorite, it sounds like, out of the Big Ten. Are you convinced this is the year they, they are going to do it? Because at some point, they actually have to do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Convinced might be a strong word. I was pretty convinced heading into uh, the game last year that they would do it, and they ended up getting blown out. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about Michigan this year. I, Penn State fans are super familiar with Josh Gaddis, as you said. I think he's a stud. Uh, his system is going to be a lot kind of early on for the team to adjust to, and I think you're going to see that early in the year. Or Michigan might not be as explosive as they will be later on, but kind of given time, I think Michigan has all the pieces in place offensively to be really fun. Uh, I agreed with you on Shea Patterson versus Jacob Eason. I was in that Shea Patterson camp as well, and I think kind of given a system where he can kind of use all his positive attributes – uh, he is super dangerous, and Gaddis is going to do the best thing possible for Shea Patterson. And that offensive line Michigan has is going to be probably the best offensive line Jim Harbaugh's had since he's been at Michigan. I think that's going to be huge. And they have enough skill talent, especially at receiver, to where they'll be just fine. And I think that is the type of thing Michigan's long needed to kind of push themselves over the hump, uh, excuse the cliche. And, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on Michigan this year. I will never... I will never doubt a Don Brown coach defense. I know they got roughed up a bit by Ohio State, but uh, that's a program that I'm super high on giving this year, and I think they're being really undervalued nationally because of how last season ended. Well, if our listeners could stomach some of the positive things you said about Ohio State and Michigan, let's really quickly finish with Penn State. You said you had them at number 12 uh, in in early rankings here. It's a team that you obviously are, are pretty well aware of from a personnel standpoint based on your conversations with Andy Frank and the way you've paid attention to how they're putting this thing together. What do you think makes the determination of whether Penn State gets back to, to you know, challenging for an 11-win season, uh, New Year's Six Bowl, Big Ten Championship, or, you know, kind of treading water, maybe looking at a nine-win season. I, th- I think the over-under is at eight and a half. What do you think ultimately from your perspective makes that makes that veer, whether they go one way or the other? I think there's two big ifs, uh, one a little bigger than the other. The first one is obviously quarterback. I know that's a position that's drawn a lot of eyebrows in Happy Valley. This offseason, uh, Tommy Stevens' leaving was rather abrupt. Uh, I, know, I know people around there are pretty high on Sean Clifford, but the fact is he's an unproven quarterback and a really tough division. That's kind of tasked with it the tall order and he's got a receiving core. I guess this would also be a big question that has a lot to prove in that regard, especially uh, your kind of 
field stretchers on the outside. I look for a guy like Justin Shorter to have a much better season now that he's fully healthy, but that needs to get better. And then on the defensive side of things, like I really think you need to find another impact pass rusher across from Moss. Or uh, So those would be the two things I'd spotlight. I, I would probably project Penn State third in the division, perhaps even fourth, depending on how Michigan State goes. But as we know, like the Big Ten East is always always interesting. I think Penn State has the most favorable schedule of any of the Big Four out uh, East this year. And if they can kind of get things rolling with Sean Clifford early, I think Penn State's a program that could definitely surprise a lot of people. Yeah, and we've spent hours here in 2019, Sean Fitz and I, talking about that receiver core and, and, and what awaits them and, and the leap they need to make with a new coach and the young players that need to step up. So certainly something we've been discussing at length along with the quarterback transition and uh, a name for you about the uh, the guy who's going to be rushing the quarterback opposite of Ytor Grossmatos. I, I know Shaka Tony looks like the starter right now and Shane Simmons uh, looks healthy right now. Say with me, though, we've talked about him before, Jason Oway. Keep a close eye on him this year. I, I know you're not surprised by that, Chris, but uh, he could be that weapon that you're talking about. I think he's a little bit ahead of where at least I thought he would be coming out of his recruitment. I thought maybe year three would be the year for his breakout. He looks a little bit ahead of schedule, so keep an eye on that one. And I want to apologize to Gross Matos for pronouncing his last name as Moss. I, that was just a brain fart, but he's, <laughs> he, is among he is among the best offensive players in college football, and I'm very excited to watch him play again this season. And, yeah, he will force everyone to learn his name over the course of, a, of his junior season, I have a feeling. So, Chris, thank you so much. You've given us a ton of time. Um, breaking it down from a national perspective, something that we really don't do often here. And it's good to zoom out sometimes, and it helps it helps us kind of understand what the heck is going around the, the campuses that, that dot this country coast to coast. So thank you very much. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to reading your continued stuff on uh, 24-7 Sports. Where can, uh, where can our listeners give you a follow on Twitter? My Twitter username is Chris underscore Hummer. I'm still rocking the underscore for some reason, and uh, thanks for having me on, man. It was fun. Again, want to say thanks to Chris. Hopefully we'll have him on again uh, during the season. A guy who really uh, just has a great peripheral vision when it comes to college football. He's asked to do a lot by 24-7 Sports, and he steps up to the plate with some of the more uh, interesting content that you'll find on the site. So appreciate that. We're going to get a lot more info about the Big Ten this week. Again, heading to Chicago for Big Ten Media Days. Uh, look forward to coverage from that on Lines 24-7. Again, myself, Mark Brennan, will be on hand uh, bringing you the latest. Additionally, if you missed any of the coverage from Lift for Life, including that sprint off between Jason Oway and Micah Parsons, and the fantastic detailed breakdown uh, from Director of Player Performance Enhancement, Dwight Galt. That's all on the website as well. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and hey, give us a uh, subscription on po on our podcast if you're not doing that already. That way it'll just be dropped off for you every time we get a fresh episode up and you won't have to go looking for one. We do plan to have a second episode up later this week. And if you can find the time, uh, give us a rating and a review on iTunes or whatever you're using to listen to this. It certainly does help build the brand. And that's what we're all about here at Lions 24-7. Uh, for now, thank you very much for joining us for this latest edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. For Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue wishing you a great rest of your day.